hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. There's hell to pay. That's what my grandfather used to say. A few weeks ago, we talked about the implications of the Fed not giving the market what it wanted. And now it seems like investors are paying for it. There's hell to pay. Last week, the Fed dashed investors' hopes for an extended easing cycle, although they did cut rates by 25 basis points, or a quarter of a percent, and they pledged to end its balance sheet runoff in August, which is two months sooner than expected. But what really spooked the market was Chairman Powell's comments that this cut was a mid-cycle adjustment to policy which suggests that future cuts were far from guaranteed. Now, keep in mind, the market had priced in a series of rate cuts over the next year or two. And to reinforce the point, he came out and said the Fed was not at the beginning of a lengthy cutting cycle. So right after his press conference a week ago, you guessed it, stocks plunged. But then they rallied back on Thursday morning. That is, until we found out that the administration would be imposing more tariffs on China. That's what set things in motion. Stocks began to fall. Investors started bidding up bonds in, a, in the flight to safety. Gold has moved higher. Oil has dropped. And since all this started, well, we've seen escalation. China's devalued its currency. There's riots in Hong Kong. Things in the world are never certain. But when they become even more uncertain, well, the less you should pay for stocks. This trade war is taking its toll. Look at China. China's experiencing food shortages, and it's had the slowest rate of economic growth in the last 25 years. Well, here in the U.S., things aren't as bad, but we are starting to see a modest increase in cost. The U.S. has withstood the challenges of the global slowdown, primarily on the back of the consumer. Remember, consumer spending is about 70% of our economy. And I tend to believe that a strong labor market and a high level of consumer confidence that we have will continue to support the U.S. economy. That's the economy, not the market. As far as the market is concerned, I think that with the uncertainty of interest rates and trade and the impact that all that could have on the second half of the year's earnings, there is a high probability that the market has entered a consolidation or, <clears throat> dare I say, a correction phase. It wouldn't surprise me to see this carry on for a bit as investors struggle with the renewed trade anxiety and the realization that the Fed's, in quote unquote, insurance cuts may not be as generous as they had hoped for. If you have some cash on the sidelines, I think you'll likely be given some opportunities here. I think there are some now. And one of the companies that's front and center in the trade war is Apple, symbol AAPL. And I haven't talked about Apple in a while, but so I'm glad we're getting a chance to do it here. They released earnings last week, and they seem to have mimicked what we've seen out of them over the last few quarters. They had a strong showing from the services and wearable segments that compensated for weaker iPhone sales. 
And I think that's the story with Apple. I think you see the iPhone sales just kind of level off and the other segments picking up the slack. Apple is a company that's in transition. And there's no doubt in my mind about that. For a long time, investors awarded Apple a much lower multiple when compared to the market. And I think that was justified at the time. Apple was all about the iPhone. Now, it's a more diversified company from a, from a revenue standpoint. And I think this is where investors have struggled. You know, they're struggling over, well, what's the right valuation? What, what should I pay for Apple? For a number of years, Apple sold at 12 times earnings on average because it was reliant on the next iPhone upgrade, the one trick pony. Therefore, it was less predictable. Now, they have more diversified sales, more diverse sales, I should say, and a lot more recurring revenue, which would argue, in my opinion, for a higher valuation. The last couple of years, it hasn't been unusual to see Apple trading at a market multiple on occasion. And I've heard the argument that they should be valued as a consumer product company rather than a tech company. And I think there's some logic to that. I think that they should be valued where the market is. If the market is trading at 15 times earnings, that means your average company, yes, your average company is trading at 15 times earnings. Some trade for more, some trade for less, but the average is 15. You're paying for Apple what you would for the average company. And I would argue that Apple is a better than average company. How many companies do you know have the the loyalty that Apple has. A survey was done back in December, December of uh, 18 last year, and 90% of the U.S. iPhone users said they had no plans on changing. I tell you, you don't see satisfaction like this. This isn't the average company. The question is, well, what do you pay for it? And I guess that also depends on what you think earnings are going to be going forward. The current consensus among the analysts are for Apple to earn $12.70 a share next year. If I pay 15 times earnings, that would mean a buy price of about $190. I think 15 times is about right. 12 times earnings is too low and 17, 18 is probably too high. So 15 is at about the midpoint. I'd be a buyer at 190. And that's a significant jump in my price target from the last time I talked about it. So that's Apple, symbol AAPL. Of course, I own it. Another one I'd buy, if I didn't already own it, would be Berkshire Hathaway. I like the B shares, BRKB. They too released earnings this past week, but I won't go through those because, well, you can do that on your own. Berkshire is that steady eddy type of stock, in my opinion. Although I wouldn't own as much of it as I have over the last 20 years. 20 years ago, I would have bought a 5% position in an equity portfolio and let it grow from there. But now, now, Warren Buffett isn't getting any younger and the opportunities aren't getting greater. Don't get me wrong. It's a great company, a great collection of different businesses that are both publicly traded and privately held. But as I said, Buffett is getting older and the opportunities seem to be the less. Berkshire ended up this last quarter with $120 billion in cash, $120 
billion in cash. And they said that they've always want to keep around 20 billion on hand just in case, you know. I kind of like to have 20 billion around just in case too. But if they keep that 20 on hand, that leaves about 100 billion left over that they're looking to deploy. Unfortunately, as Buffett said in his last shareholder letter, prices are sky high and they haven't been able to put that money to work. So it's acting as somewhat of an anchor on Berkshire. I've said, I don't believe Berkshire is going to grow like it has in the past. You look at their past record over the last 50 years, their returns have been phenomenal. I mean, absolutely phenomenal. I don't think that's going to be the case going forward. But what I think is that they have a narrower outcome than most other companies. And what I mean is that I'd be very surprised if they didn't grow at about 7% on average over the long term, at a minimum. But I'd also be very surprised if they grew at 10 to 12% on average. I think it's somewhere in that range between 7 and 10%. I think that's a pretty good outcome for a a quality stock like Berkshire. I think you can buy it in the 190s, 195. I think that's a fair price, but you have to do your own research. You always have to do your own research to see if an investment or strategy is right for you and your portfolio. One thing I should have said earlier at the very beginning is don't let this market volatility send you off down the wrong path. Take your time. I just wrapped up a three-week series on investing basics, everything from planning to tools you can use when you're picking stocks. And the one thing I pounded on, absolutely pounded on relentlessly, was the importance of having a plan. The plan is the foundation. It allows you to figure out what might be a reasonable asset allocation for your situation. And if you don't need to take a lot of risk, well, then don't. If you have a sensible plan and a sensible asset allocation in place, I think you're much less likely to panic on a day when the market drops eight to 900 points. If you need help doing a plan, well, feel free to reach out. You can reach us at podcast, which is plural, podcast at xmlfg.com, or call us at 301-770-5234. doesn't matter where you are. I just got back from seeing folks in California and what have you. I think if you're value-oriented in your investments, that'll help you too. Have a plan, be value-oriented. Because the general premise is you're buying high-quality businesses for less than what you think they're worth. And if you do that and the next day the market goes down, yes, your investments will go down, but you would think that they'd go down less since you bought them below value in the first place. At least that's the theory. You always have to be patient. The market goes up, the market goes down. Buy good businesses at good prices and be patient over the long run. And for goodness sakes, don't trade. Don't trade. Let me give you some other names you might want to look at as the market bounces along here. I think I'd be interested in Intel, symbol INTC, if it got under 44, as well as applied materials at about $40. I know there's a lot of controversy about the semiconductors here and, you know, who knows? This may be the bottom of the the cycle. Maybe it's not. Who knows? 
I think I'm getting good values in Intel and AMAT at these prices. How about UNH, United Healthcare? Investors are all worried about Medicare for all coming along and annihilating the health insurers. I think the chances of that happening are possible, but remote. So I'd say look at UNH. Uh, UNH looks reasonable, eh, under $245. Heck, even AT&T looks to be okay here. It's gone up a couple of points since the last time we talked about it, I believe. If you want to focus a bit more on defense, because, well, college football starts in a couple of weeks, look at AT&T, symbol T. You pay about eight or nine times earnings. It's not going to grow much, maybe four or five percent, but you're getting a better than six percent dividend. If you want some income portfolio, again, maybe you look at AT&T, symbol T. Okay, we've run out of time. Tune in next week. If you like the show, pass it on to a friend or a family member. If you think it can help them out, maybe help uh, hit the little like button there at the end. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing, reminding you that it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.